Across the globe, 2019 was the year of packed squares and swarming streets, as millions of people gathered or marched to protest against deep economic inequality, call for greater civil and political rights, speak up against rampant corruption, and fight for a better future. From Chile to Iraq and India to Hong Kong, demonstrations were largely peaceful, yet crackdowns have been brutal. Human rights defenders, who were often at the front lines of those protests, documenting violations, assisting those who were arrested, or organizing peaceful actions, were targeted. Despite the violent repression, mass protests seemed unstoppable. But the coronavirus outbreak has now succeeded where governments had failed. Social distancing and shelter-in-place rules are forcing HRDs and demonstrators to stay home. And governments, not only autocratic regimes, are using the COVID-19 pandemic as a pretext to approve draconian laws and repress any form of dissent. At the same time, the unfolding health, social, and economic crisis is also laying bare all the problems that were driving many of the protests across the world. Issues such as corruption and inequality have never been as evident and urgent as today. In this new reality, how can protest movements be sustained, and what role can HRDs and civil society play? In this episode of Rights on the Line podcast, Frontline Defenders spoke to three women human rights defenders in Iraq, Algeria, and Chile to analyze current and future challenges for protest movements, but also to reflect on what can be learned from the 2019 uprisings and what can be done to keep that spirit alive. In October 2019, mass protests against structural inequality erupted in Chile. Protesters were calling for an overhaul of the health, education, and pension systems, as well as for a new constitution to replace the one written during the Pinochet era. According to the National Human Rights Institute, the violent response of the military and police forces resulted in, quote, the most serious and multiple human rights violations committed since 1989, end quote. At least 27 people were killed, more than 350 demonstrators suffered eye injuries caused by police projectiles, and security forces have been accused of torture and sexual violence. We speak about the situation in Chile with human rights defender and lawyer Manuel Arroyo, who defends the rights of the indigenous Mapuche people. Thank you, Manuela, for joining us. When the COVID-19 pandemic started, what was the state of affairs of the protests in Chile? Since the 18th of October 2019, until the moment the COVID-19 pandemic intensified, in Chile there was an important social and political movement, and there were protest actions all over Chile. As a result of the popular mobilization, the government had accepted to hold a referendum to reform the constitution but this is now being postponed until October, at the end of the year. This is quite problematic, because it is now forbidden for people to get together and it is impossible to gather in the places where the protests were being organized before. Apart from this, the government's approach to the emergency has been disastrous when it comes to public health, the protection of citizens and workers' rights. The government has allowed companies to not pay their employees, they can fire their workers, and there is no public health program. Moreover, President Piñera, taking advantage of the lockdown, went to Plaza de la Dignidad, which was the center of the protest, and took a photo of himself there, making fun of the protesters. Also, there has been total impunity for the human rights violations against the demonstrators. Some lost their lives, some lost their sight, others suffered mutilations. There are also many political prisoners, as a result of the social upheaval. Because of the emergency, the protests had to stop. 
but there are many reasons for Chilean and citizens to keep mobilizing. How are HRDs and civil society addressing the current crisis despite the restrictions? There isn't much that can be done in this situation, but there has been solidarity actions and people have been denouncing and speaking up against the government. For example, about the water privatization laws. Or there has also been a campaign asking to release the political prisoners who were arrested during the protest. This is another important struggle that has been carried out at the moment. How is the pandemic affecting Mapuche HRDs and the Mapuche population? There are different responses to this situation. On one side, there are local organizations working with communities who have suffered human rights violations recently that have organized groups of volunteers who bring food to those who can't go out to buy it or those who can't afford it. As in Chile, there is no public system to support workers who are not going to receive any salary during the lockdown. On the other side, Mapuche indigenous communities and rural communities have tried to stop tourists from entering in their communities, which is what happened here in the Walmapu, where there have been mobilization of Mapuche communities that don't want outsiders to go there as they risk infecting the local communities, because there isn't a public health system here that could help. The situation for the Mapuche population is very complex. As an indigenous population, they have high regard for the elderly and their knowledge, as they are those who own the ancestral knowledge, linked to the territory and the natural environment. So when the lives of the elderly are in danger, you are also putting at risk the cultural life. So there is a strong conflict, because the state has no intention to protect the life of the older people, and this conflicts with the way of thinking and the vision of the Mapuche. The other thing is that in rural communities there is no water, because in Chile water was privatized. It's not a public good. You have to buy the right to access water, otherwise you don't have it. And many rural communities, surrounded by monocultures and activities that exploit natural resources, don't have water to survive. Among the many cases that you have worked on as a lawyer, you have also defended Lonco Alberto Coramil, an indigenous Mapuche leader and environmental defender, winner of the Goldman Prize in 2019. Last December, after more than a year in pretrial detention, Coramil was finally acquitted. On April 7th, the HRD was arbitrarily detained. What happened? The other day, Lonco Coramil was with another comrade and he was driving to join other people who were blocking a road to stop outsiders from entering their communities to prevent the spread of COVID. He was stopped and arbitrarily detained by a police officer. He was kept for hours in the police station and he was also beaten. When we managed to get there and speak with the officers, we finally convinced them to release him, but it was absolutely an arbitrary and illegal detention. The protests in Chile and elsewhere in the world were fueled by inequality and economic injustice. The virus, far from being an equalizer, has made these issues even more evident, dramatic and urgent. How do you think this will impact future protests? I think the level of inequality has now exceeded the limit. 
even the fact that only wealthy people can get tested for COVID, as it's not possible for people to get tested for free, or the fact that there are places with ventilators and resources to cure people, but only where the rich people live. I think these things, adding up to what was already going on before, will reinforce the social movement and will strengthen the discontent that was already there before the pandemic. Chile is the cradle of neoliberalism, where everything is private and there is no state protection. The Ministry of Education is already speaking about opening the schools again. When the state will want to push for something, it will use the criminal system to repress dissent and the discontent, that of course will be increasing in this situation. What do you think will remain of the spirit and popular engagement that characterized the waves of protests in 2019? The last march before the pandemic was the one organized on March 8, called by many different organizations, and that was the biggest march in our history. It was a march of only women. It was beautiful and very significant. We have gone beyond the limits that before were containing the forms of organizing and mobilizing. And I think this is something that will stay even after the pandemic, and it will be even stronger. Thank you for joining us and sharing your insight on Chile. Stay safe and be well. mass demonstrations erupted in Baghdad and other cities in the south of Iraq. The protesters were calling for civil and political rights and an end to corruption, chronic unemployment, and foreign interference. The Iraqi authorities and other militant groups used excessive force against peaceful demonstrators, and hundreds were killed. Human rights defenders have been targeted, and several have been forcibly disappeared, detained, or killed. We speak about the situation in Iraq with Maryam Elashpal, doctor and activist with the Iraqi Social Forum. Thank you, Maryam, for joining us. Can you tell us, how did you get involved in the protest movement last year? On the, the 27th of October, uh, I went with my uh, friend, who was uh, also uh, working in the Iraqi Social Forum. Uh, he told me to uh, just to watch, to come to the square and watch uh, the situation. Uh, but when I arrived to the square, it was like the feeling I had uh, at that time. Uh, I don't think that I will have uh, any feeling like it uh, anymore because it was uh, something I can't describe it actually. It is something unique uh, to be in the square. You, you can see different people in that uh, place, but uh, with uh, one goal. And this was my start at, uh, the, uh, at the protest. Then I started to um, uh, volunteer uh, for the medical tents and giving uh, uh, first aid uh, to the uh, protesters. Some trainings about the first aid, uh, so can they they can manage themselves if something uh, goes wrong. For you, what made this protest different from previous ones, and what is its legacy? In Iraq and uh, in uh, Baghdad. Uh, there was uh, so many uh, protesters uh, before uh, this one, before this last one. But um, in every 
single one uh, before this uh, last one, uh, there was uh, no uh, such diversity uh, as uh, this one. Everybody, uh, I mean, literally everybody uh, goes to the sequels and they went uh, in, uh, went uh, with their families, children, uh, young people, old people, and the great thing about this uh, demonstrations is that females were there, strongly were there, and there was no uh, harassment, and that that thing was uh, astonishing, and uh, and you can see it, uh, the joy in the uh, in the eyes of uh, the families there, and that was the unique feeling I was talking about. I think, uh, uh, despite the situation we are um, we are having uh, these days, uh, but the idea of uh, protesting, the idea of demonstrations, and the picture that uh, we uh, uh, we've seen uh, during these demonstrations, I think these pictures will engrave in our minds forever. And uh, these days, um, let's uh, consider it like a break. Uh, to uh, recharge uh, ourselves and uh, to uh, uh, to have a new plan and to have new strategies uh, and when this situation is better I think uh, uh, the demonstrations will be much more stronger. How are human rights defenders and civil society addressing the current crisis despite the restrictions? Civil society now is uh, focusing on uh, two parts. The first thing is to help the uh, poor families. Uh, now, um, every team, every campaign, uh, despite uh, their differences, uh, they are all uh, uh, together trying to help uh, the uh, poor families because our government uh, didn't put any uh, plan for them, uh, just uh, put uh, a curfew uh, uh, on the ground and didn't put any plan for these families. And the second thing, uh, also trying to uh, disinfect the uh, suspected areas, uh, because uh, unfortunately the uh, uh, Minister of Health didn't have enough uh, teams to disinfect uh, these uh, areas. Have you noticed increased attacks against human rights defenders since the lockdown began? Actually, uh, these days uh, who have been um, uh, threatened or uh, are mainly the health workers uh, themselves. Uh, when uh, the health worker uh, works in a specific uh, hospital, uh, um, uh, come up and says uh, about uh, the uh, actual number of the uh, infected cases, or uh, talking about uh, the shortage, uh, shortage of uh, personal protective equipment, uh, they will punish him, uh, send him for another hospital, or uh, 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 they try to threaten uh, threatens him. Uh, on the other hand, the activists uh, try uh, tries uh, so much to uh, support uh, the health workers, uh, trying to uh, talk uh, uh, instead of the health workers, so they won't uh, get um, uh, punished or uh, threatened. In your opinion, what will be the role for human rights defenders in civil society once the emergency is over? And will some spaces remain open for civic mobilization? Uh, the civil society will uh, uh, will have uh, the space to uh, 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 to, uh, to put uh, their uh, plans uh, on the ground 
and uh, uh, to work with their uh, maximum uh, power uh, because uh, the government doesn't have uh, uh, any other uh, options. I think it is the time uh, for civil society to do their work freely because they are the only solution. In February 2019, just after President Bouteflika announced he was going to run for a fifth term, hundreds of thousands of Algerians took to the streets. Two months later, the president stood down, but Algerians kept on protesting. In what became known as Hirak, every Friday protesters gathered in the squares of the main cities in Algeria, calling for sweeping changes, for democracy, for an independent judiciary, and for rule of law. But just after Hirak's one-year anniversary, COVID-19 has forced protesters to abandon the streets. We speak about the situation in Algeria with human rights defender and feminist activist Leila Shema Soama. What made Hirak different from previous protests and what will be its long-term impact despite the current situation? What began on February 26 wasn't a simple protest or social mobilization. We see it as a revolution in its deepest sense. It is an intellectual and cultural revolution during which the Algerian people were reunited from north to south, from east to west. They tried to break this unity speaking about the different cultures within Algeria. But Algerian people proved that they are powerful and that they are the owners of the land and the history of this country against these groups who are seeking to break the revolution because they don't want Algeria to meet the aspirations of the people and to reach the prosperity experienced in Europe or other developed countries. Today, I see that the idea of people's power is firm. All the streets and squares will be places where the Algerian people can exercise this power if we do not see a real democratic transition with proper elections and space for the people to express themselves. People took to the streets to express their demands and to stress the fact that they are the owners of the power and that there is no other way. Because we do not have any space to express ourselves in Algeria. No impartial, transparent elections. Even the opposition is allied to the regime. And that's it. From your point of view, what is the future of the Hirak movement? To respond to your question, no one is trying to stop the revolution from fading away, because the revolution is an idea, and ideas don't die. The COVID-19 pandemic crisis is nothing but small pause, and the revolution will continue after this pandemic. As we say in Algerian dialect, either we win or we win. We will be moving forward with our revolution right after the pandemic crisis ends. The COVID-19 pandemic made problems such as corruption and inequality even more apparent and urgent. What impact do you think the crisis and the government's response will be in terms of people staying engaged in protest movements? Usually pandemics and or assassinate revolutions, but the failure of the regime in the way it is managing this crisis can only strengthen 
the revolution and the mobilization. Once I even heard a group using a slogan saying, that is, we'd rather have the coronavirus than you, referring to the regime. And I thought, how can, say, how can they say that? But then I thought about how the government is managing the crisis that we are going through, and I said to myself, they are absolutely right. There are no hospitals, no reliable healthcare system, no effective preventive measures. So the people, even those who are staying at home, they will think about the fact that if they don't fight the regime, the regime will kill them, their parents, the whole country. The state policies and the way they are managing this crisis will only motivate more people to go out and protest against them. We have seen many revolutions in the Arab world. The protests of the yellow vests in France or the protests in Lebanon or Chile. And I'm sure that after the COVID-19 pandemic, we'll see more changes in the way the world is managed. And the Algerian people should continue mobilizing and should be on the front line against this regime. Because now we have nothing left. The people of the regime who are still in power should leave. And after this COVID-19 pandemic, we should have a new president and new politicians who should work to make sure we are proud of Algeria. Thank you for joining us and giving us the view from the streets in Algeria. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Rights on the Line podcast, brought to you by Frontline Defenders. For more on Frontline Defenders and how you can support human rights defenders at risk around the world, please visit www.frontlinedefenders.org. Thank you.